Episode number 317, NRB 2021 Backstage Pass, Part 3, with Mark Demaz and Joshua Aaron. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Hey guys, welcome to Making Sunday Happen. Thanks so much for hanging out this week. I'm Carl. This is episode number 317 of our podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. If you would, just go to youtube.com and search 1230 Media and like and subscribe and share and do all the things if you would. If you missed our NRB interviews the last two weeks, feel free to step back and check those out. If you would, we recorded these interviews this past summer at the NRB 2021 convention in Grapevine, Texas at the Gaylord Texan. And today I'll share, this is part three of our NRB series, and I'll share uh, interviews with Mark Demaz. Mark is the founding pastor of Mosaic Church of Central Arkansas. It's a multi-ethnic, diverse church. Mark is also the author of Building a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church, also Ethnic Blends and Multi-Ethnic Conversations, uh, and other Books. So he does a great job of helping churches become more diverse from their community. We'll also hear from international worship leader Joshua Aaron. Joshua is an award winning American Israeli singer and songwriter. He's been listed as one of the Jewish Global 100 influencers. He lives near the Sea of Galilee in Israel with his wife and five kids. He's a great guy. You are going to love hearing from Joshua and Mark both on today's episode. All right, we're going to jump right in to both of those interviews right after this. Hey guys, Matt McMorris here, pastor of Grace Valley Church. I just want to tell you one of the reasons I love 1230 Media is because when we started our church, I wanted to have good video content and sermons and bumpers and that kind of stuff, but just couldn't afford uh, to pay somebody, to hire somebody to do that kind of stuff for us. And so the affordability and the fact that they're constantly coming out with new stuff, um, they're really helping equip our church. We used their stuff today in a service. We just got done with church and uh, love being able to have that resource and being able to plan sermons and things that have quality digital to help our services be as sharp and professional as they can be. I highly recommend 1230 Media. Hey guys, I'm hanging out with Mark Demaz. Mark, you're the founder of Mosaic Church. You're also the co-founder and CEO of the Mosaic Global Network. Give me a little bit of what that is and and why you started both of those movements. Yeah, you bet. Well, Carl, uh, great to be with you today. Uh, Yeah, uh, 20 years ago, I can't believe I'm on my 21st, uh, 2001 this summer uh, in Little Rock, left a mega church of 5,000 people as a youth pastor to go to the inner city of Little Rock and established what we believe was a big dream in Little Rock. That's what Christianity Today called it, 2004, but uh, established a healthy multi-ethnic an economically diverse church, a church for all people, not just some people in the urban center of Little Rock. I can't believe, again, 20 years has gone by, but uh, yeah. uh, it's, you know, for such a time as this, right, yeah. uh, what we do. So Mosaic is the church in Little Rock, uh, still there, uh, directional leader. And then Mosaic's Global Network 
is a uh, nonprofit that exports our understanding of what healthy churches should be like in the 21st century. So Mosaics is kind of almost like a law firm with all, all these people with different specialties to help uh, churches become healthy, multi-ethnic and economically diverse, socially just, culturally intelligent and financially sustainable churches. So the Global Network, when did you start that? 2004. And then how has it grown over the years? What have you seen God do? Yeah, so in 2001, like I said, we planted the church uh, intentionally to be multi-ethnic, uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, today Republican, Democrat, all what? walking, working, worshiping God together as one to advance a credible gospel. You know, in the late 90s, I began to ask myself if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, why on earth is the church? Uh, and that led me to plant this church and to do it with a team of diverse people. Uh, three years later, there were so few and far between people uh, doing that and or thinking about it in those days. In fact, many people, when you come across them, they'd say it can't happen. People want to go to church with people who are like them and there's nothing wrong with that. And there was all this opposition and discouragement. And every now and then I'd run into somebody and they'd say, yeah, I think there's somebody in Cincinnati trying to do that. And, I would just track that person down and we'd commiserate on the phone and, yeah. and uh, encourage one another and learn from one another. And we began having retreats. And so in 2004, just three years after I started the church, myself and Dr. George Yancey, he's a sociologist at Baylor now. Uh, he and I, African-American sociologist, he and I started this network at a grassroots level thinking there must be others out there. And, and so somehow they would find their way to us or we to them began doing retreats. Uh, and that led us to establish the nonprofit in 2005, our first national conference with Outreach Magazine in 2010. Yeah. Uh, we do them every three years. So we've had four. Uh, the next one's November 2022 in Dallas, uh, Mosaic's uh, National uh, Multi-Ethnic Church Conference. So today we provide coaching cohorts, uh, teach people about church economics. We do uh, CQ, Cultural Intelligence Assessment and Training. Uh, so a wide swath of operation. But I'll tell you this. Uh, we started in 04, but it wasn't until 2013 we had our first coaching client. So it took the American church wow. roughly 10 to 15 years uh, and the rise of Black Lives Matter to wake up to realize the systemic segregation of the American church is actually undermining our ability to advance a credible gospel in an increasingly diverse society. So really in the last eight years, though we've been around for 16, it's been the last eight that uh, the work has really scaled, and particularly after the murders of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery last year. So let's get into some of that. So we have a lot of pastors listening that are trying to make that move. They're trying to go from uh, maybe one, uh, the way we look on stage, maybe, you know, certain race or whatever, and try to diversify their staff. Mm -hmm. um, so we have some church. How do you, is it better to make that movement inside a current church? Would it be better to plant? What are some advice yeah, that you would well, give there? They're, they're, you're talking about transition and or yeah. planting, and yep. the answer is yes. Both right. challenging, both unique uh, challenges. I'm actually transitioning a church in Columbia right now, personally, okay. uh, and a planter as well. So they're unique challenges. Right. Uh, but having said all that, yeah, the, the first thing, if you're listening to this uh, and thinking about doing this, you have to understand the theology. This is not about uh, political correctness. This is not about changing demographics. This is a biblical mandate right out of the New Testament. It's what Paul gave his life for. Uh, Christ envisioned the multi-ethnic church on the night before he died, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Luke describes it in action, a place called Antioch, Acts chapter 11, 19 through 26. 13, one, a diverse staff at a diverse church gives us a model. And then of course, Paul prescribes it throughout his life and writings, book of Romans, book of Ephesians, etc. Uh, essentially uh, then, when you understand the theology, that's the why. And the idea is to advance a credible gospel. This is what Christ prayed in John 17. If we will be one, 
the world will come to recognize him as Messiah. The world will recognize God loves all people, not just some people. And so it's about the advance of a credible gospel uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation 7, 9, every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, right? Christ right. taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. And so we're trying to live that mandate out in these churches. Now, having said that, once you understand the theology, that's the why, then you go on to the how. Seven right. core commitments. One of those is empowering diverse leaders, like you're talking about. Again, Acts 13, 1, uh, the leaders at the church at Antioch, it's like the website. Go to the staff page on the website. Two are African, one's from, one's from the Mediterranean, one's from the Middle East, and one from Asia Minor. So diverse staffing, that's called indirect prescription and exegesis. Uh, it's one of the core commitments. And yes, you have to do it, but not in a gimmick way. Again, it's about sharing responsible authority, walking, working, worshiping God together as one, modeling that for others, uh, the people that you serve and the people that you lead in your congregation. So we talked earlier about the difference between assimilation and accommodation. Give me a little bit on that. Yeah, Rick Warren asked me probably 10, 12 years ago, he said, Mark, the neighborhood around Saddleback is 50% Hispanic now. And Rick being Rick, you know, break it down. Just he, he is like that old movie, City Slickers. Give me the one thing. What's the yeah. one thing I got to do? I said, you got to understand the difference between assimilation and accommodation. Most people, even the pastors you're talking about, they say they want diversity. Uh, and I believe that they do. But what they haven't thought deeply about is what they really mean by that statement, because right. what they're really saying is we would love we welcome anyone as long as they like it the way we do things. That's how most people want their diversity, if you will. We've got a system, we've got a church, uh, and- As long and as you fall in line with that. You, and that, that can work either way. I could be a, a white guy going to a, an established black church. I could be a, white, a black person going to a white church, right? So the, the majority culture of that church setting, as long as the other, whoever the other is, likes it the way we do things, one big happy family. But two years into my church plant, uh, and we were being intentional, an African-American woman came up to me one day and said, you know, I believe if we uh, played more gospel music on Sunday mornings during the worship set, I bet more African-Americans would attend. Well, of course, that's not the only reason African-Americans go to church, but part of the rich heritage of the black church. And so if you're a white pastor in that moment, what do you say to that woman, right? Uh, you might say, uh, well, hey, I, I, I listen to a little Israel every now and then or Fred in the car, <laughs> but I mean, we got Dave here on the guitar. We can't be inauthentic and ask Dave, to play gospel, but you know, my buddy Kevin Kelly up the street at Second Baptist, they've got a killer gospel choir, a black church, right? Uh -huh. What did you just tell that woman, right? You didn't mean to, you thought you're being helpful, but you really created an us them scenario. In our case, understand- Or you told her to go over there. Exactly, and <laughs> yeah. uh, in our case, we understood accommodation. So we got on that, began to incorporate more gospel and sure enough, more African-Americans came. So accommodation, assimilation is where you ask the other, whoever the other is, in a sense to check his or her culture at the door. Right. Accommodation is how you build a healthy multi-ethnic church. And that's when the majority culture begins to shift in form and practices yeah. to welcome the other. So you, we shift, the majority culture shifts to welcome the other, not the opposite. And that's how you build a healthy multi-ethnic church. So let's get into accommodation a little bit more. How do I, and you gave an example of the gospel music. What are some other examples of ways that I can, maybe I'm the leader, and I can take responsibility to move us to accommodate and try different things. Give me that practice. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, back to seven core commitments uh, beyond embracing dependence. It's a work of God and the Holy Spirit that he has to do. We have to be intentional, take intentional steps. And one of those core commitments, again, that's intentional along the lines of accommodation is promoting a spirit of inclusion. Uh, so, for instance, when uh, we began and several years into it, we decided, hey, we should have bulletins, right? We're a real church now. 
Well, we had a large Hispanic contingent and uh, people that spoke English. So naturally the bulletins are produced in English and Spanish. Uh, this is an accommodation, right? Uh, some people say when they're getting into this, whether planting or transitioning, like, why am I gonna put Spanish on the screens, let's say, or Korean, whatever your uh, second largest, let's say, or third language. Uh, it's kind of which comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? So you're accommodating by pitching your church to the future, not just playing for who's there today. So in the terms of the bulletins, we had bulletins in English and Spanish, right? Uh, by the way, when they got laid out, somebody put them on two separate tables. We're like, no, that's not gonna work because you have a physical barrier that says us and them. You put them all on the same table to pass yeah. out. So uh, all this to say is that through promoting a spirit of inclusion, you are then accommodating. That's in language, your signage, uh, on the street, your bulletins, uh, the uh, slides that you have, right? Uh, again, in our case, uh, black, white, and Hispanic, predominant three groups in Little Rock. So English and Spanish on the slides, uh, a bilingual, if you will. Other churches, I know in Portland, five, six languages. So accommodating for the diversity versus assimilating, that's what you want to do. Yeah, and I would imagine that that translates into what imagery I put on the website, what photos I want to make sure that it's showing not only who we are, but who we want to represent. Would, you, would that be accurate oh, yeah. as well? In fact, you could go to woodcrest.org right now, woodcrest.org and see a church in transition in real time. I'm the interim directional leader of that church. Uh, we just rewrote their mission, vision and values. But on that page, we, uh, you know, first they put diversity in stock photos. I said, no, that doesn't work. Let's get real people on there, right. but right under it. So we wrote this vision of an intended future, literally just two weeks ago uh, to the congregation, put it out. Uh, but it'll, if you read woodcrest.org and you read the new mission and vision for this church, historically like a Willow Creek in the town of Columbia, Missouri, right under the vision that says, uh, you know, our vision is to be a multi-ethnic, economically diverse, uh, you know, socially just church, right under it, it'll say note, like dot, dot, right? Uh, in Latin, NB, uh, it's, it's note. We are not this yet, but this is where we're intending to go. Come be part of the journey. So right. we're not talking about stock photos and presenting yourself as right. being something you're not, right. but you present yourself of who you want to be, be very clear about that and invite diverse others to come. I think you make a great point about stock photo because I think a lot of people can see through that. Oh, they're trying to be something that they're not, exactly. or they're trying, that looks fake. I can see the same photo on that billboard over there. Yeah. So I think real photos really make a difference. Tell me about empowering let's say I'm, I have diverse people on my staff or I'm moving that direction. How do I empower those leaders well? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, you have to understand, again, it's a biblical mandate, Acts 13, 1. If you're going to have a healthy multi-ethnic church such as existed at Antioch, then you're going to have a diverse staff team. Uh, that diverse step team has to be uh, created equitable. Uh, what we recommend and what we practice is what's called team-based management. So in a multi-ethnic setting, rather than having kind of a top-down leadership, almost like a military, you set up more of a, uh, of a round table and you're looking to empower people in the strength of their gifting. So just like you, me, all of us together, I'm great at some things and I'm horrible at some things. So I'm gonna staff to my weakness. And the point is, is that uh, whatever your position around the table, you yield yourself to the person with greater experience or gifting in a certain area. Uh, it's almost like they get a double vote. So let's say you're having a conversation, four or five people, key leaders in the church, decision has to be made. Let's say it's on finances. Well, I'm the founding pastor. I'm the directional leader. But there's somebody or a couple people on our staff better than finances than me. So as we're walking and going through the, the conversation, I'm listening to that Puerto Rican, that Chinese uh, guy that's on our staff, our senior pastor is Chinese, our CFO is Puerto Rican. 
very gifted with finances, the fine detail of it. I can see things in a big picture. They're very precise. So when we're making precise decisions, I may be in the position of founding pastor, directional leader, but I'm going to be in humility and with wisdom, I'm going to yield to their voices, even if it doesn't feel right. And I'm saying, okay, all right, I'm going to trust you on that one. Right. But can we just make sure of this? And they'll go, oh yeah. So the point is we're working as a team, uh, just like in football or any sports team, uh, people playing their positions, playing well, playing synergistically, uh, as opposed to top-down leadership. But really you practice team-based management, empowering them is giving them responsible authority, right? So not micromanaging, um, but responsible authority for large swaths of the church and, and letting them uh, you know, speak into that and lead, letting whoever that is, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, at the elder level as well, the deacon level, those trustees working as a team, uh, empowering diverse leaders. It's what it's not, uh, many people are afraid of affirmative action, right? Uh, without affirmative action, a lot of African-Americans and minorities in this country wouldn't be where they are. So I, I have always believed in affirmative action uh, given historic inequities. What we're not talking about so much though is affirmative action or even quotas. Some people might say, hey, let's get two whites and two blacks and two Asians. Token. No, that's kind of like forcing it. That's kind of right. man's way, right? We don't want to do that. We don't recommend that. Right. But on the other hand, you can't just sit around and hope or wish or pray all day that somehow magically God will give you diverse leaders who share your theology, etc. So intentionality with regard to staffing is the middle ground between quota and wishful thinking. It's like swimming a lap pool, right? And every now and then you run into that right rope, you got a course correct. You go the left rope, but the idea is to minimize the deviation and stay straight down the lane where you have a healthy balance. Uh, we never want to turn away someone because of the color of their skin. On the other hand, we're not going to hire somebody just because of the color of skin. So we're navigating a middle line, but we're going to be intentional about it because without intentionality, you will drift in terms of staffing typically to your own people. Group. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. So last concept for you. Let's get into Sunday as the as a backdrop of what you just said. Uh, of maybe uh, other folks get multiple votes, like or, or us doing it together as a team. Tell, uh, tell, tell me how that translates to the worship experience on Sunday. How should I build my weekend experiences to make sure that I'm diverse and reaching multiple cultures? Yeah, well, again, it all goes back, Carl, to intentionality. And around that table, uh, in terms of your worship pastor, production people, however big or small your church is, whoever's making decisions, uh, they need to do it as a team. So again, you don't just give it to the worship pastor and they plan the service. So in, in our case, they're going to bring their culture and their exactly. background first into it. Yeah. Uh, you're going to, you want to sit around the table with four or five people with different perspectives. You want to debrief on the past week. You want to think about the future. We're always constantly paying attention. Uh, in our church, we rotate teaching pastors. Uh, so, you know, I, my colleague, Harry Lee's Chinese. So if he's up that day, we're going to pay attention to who's doing work, uh, announcements, who's serving communion. So we're making sure that we're, we're staging, if you will, the heart of the church and who we want to be. Um, so there's intentionality that way, but in terms of worship, you're planning that together as a team, because again, people bring it up. So literally two weeks ago, uh, we were in a, a meeting on worship and we had a visitor, African-American worship pastor from another church sitting in our staff meetings that day. Well, he brought up, he just, cause we let anybody speak. You're at the table, speak up, right? So he said, Hey, I don't know if you guys thought, but Juneteenth's coming up, you know? And this was before it just became a holiday a few days before. So quickly the team pivoted and said, yeah, we need to do something. So we threw a video in to the worship mix on Juneteenth. Well, that wouldn't have happened without that African-American sitting at the table. So again, diverse voices around the table help you uh, keep in good tension. I mean, a good tension, all the different 
competing demands, if you will, and try to come up with a synergistic plan for each and every worship service that's well thought through. What if I currently don't have that on my staff? Would you welcome community members or church members to come and sit in on those planning absolutely. sessions? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you got to play with who you got. Right. My college baseball coach taught me. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, for sure, people in your church and or getting outside your church. You know, when we were starting our church in 2001, I literally went uh, to about 30 pastors in the city before I even planted. And a number of them were African-American. I asked them three questions. Am I the guy? Is this the time? Uh, and do you think there's a need? And and I, I said, told God, if they say no, I'm not doing it, right? So I got the opinions of others, even in terms of staffing. Sometimes you're in a city and you, you're there and you don't know. Let's say you're a white guy uh, or a white gal and you don't know an African-American, but you want to bring on to your staff or bring on to your team. Well, you just look up in the phone book and you find your way to theologically, people you share theology with, right? And you knock on doors, you introduce yourself. People love that, but we're afraid to do that somehow. When you're part of a denomination, of course, it's a little easier because you can go, if you're Southern Baptist or United Methodist, you can stay within the denomination and work those networks and contacts to find your way to like-minded others within the denomination. But it, it just takes like, they call it gumshoe, right? You gotta get out there and hustle. Like you can't just sit in the office and read your Bible and pray all day and expect somehow magically this is gonna happen. So tell me how to reach you guys. If I want help with this, uh, how to either transition or plant well, how do I get up with you and get help from, yeah, from you and your team? Yeah, it's really easy. Um, my colleague, Allison, uh, A-L-I-S-O-N, one L, Allison at mosaics.info. That's with an X, right? Mosaics.info, Allison at mosaics.info. You just simply email her and she'll get you an appointment with me. That's always the starting point. Or if you can't remember that, just go to the website, mosaics.info and there'll be a button right there. It says schedule 30 minutes with Mark DeMoz. Click it, it goes to her email. She yeah. schedules the appointment. Great. So uh, yeah, but mosaics.info, you can read about the breadth of our services, what yeah. we do for church planners, churches in transition. Uh, again, building healthy, multi-ethnic, economically diverse, socially just, uh, culturally intelligent and financially sustainable churches. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out, man. You really bet. appreciate it. You bet, great to be with you. Hey guys, I'm hanging out with Joshua Aaron. Joshua is a singer, songwriter, and worship leader who lives in Israel. Tell me where at in Israel do you live? I live near a lake you might have heard of. It's called the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> ah, I've heard of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, we live up on a hill uh, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, about a couple miles down the hill and you're in the, in the water. My kids actually go to school on the corner of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. How awesome is that? It's amazing. It's amazing. When did you move there? When, how long We've been there, there seven years. Um, we moved back six years ago, we lived there a year, many years ago, and we moved back six years ago. So you were telling me that you're about to do a big project around the Garden Tomb, right? Yes, yes. Um, we're going to be doing a live worship uh, event, uh, fully recorded, filmed as well, at the Garden Tomb. We did one two years ago in the old city of Jerusalem, called yeah. Live at the, at the Tower of David, uh, which really did well, praise God, with full production team, jibs, and just lit up this place. For, yeah. for Jesus uh, yeah. in the old city. As a Jewish person, it was really special to me to go inside the old city and sing about my Savior and, 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 uh, yeah. and uh, proclaim his greatness in the old city of Jerusalem. Yeah. So now we're gonna take it to the garden tomb um, and, and, and sing about his, his resurrection and him coming back as well. So speaking of Jewish, you have a very unique kind of flavor in your music. Uh -huh. It uh, doesn't really necessarily fit in a genre, right? So yeah. tell me your, your your flair, your flavor. Well, I, I grew up in, in you know my all my father's family's from Poland, 
his, his, all four of his grandparents, so a kind of Polish-American family. And my mother's side, her, grandma, her mother, my grandmother, fled the Holocaust to Israel, was born in Israel. My mother, my mother was born in Israel. And my, my mother moved to America years later where I was born. So I got, I've got, I'm, I'm an international family. near Pennsylvania, in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Okay, and how long did you live in the States before you? Oh, I, most of my life in the States. Okay. So I've been, I'm 43, so I've been in the States seven years total in, okay. in Israel. But I've been in Israel the last 20 years as much as I possibly can when I'm not living there. How long was there. the flight to get here to NRB? That's what I want. I, I, well, I flew to JFK, so it's only okay. 11 hours. Okay. I love to All fly, right. so it's only 11 hours, and I went to Pennsylvania to visit my family, and then flew to... Uh, I forget Nashville was my last stop with Aaron Schuess. We did a we did a concert tour this past weekend. Okay, we do a lot awesome. of stuff together. Awesome. So, all right. So this podcast is all about how to enhance our worship experience. Okay. So I'd love for you to talk to worship leaders. Yeah. Especially in the last year that we've been through. Yeah. Uh, maybe just some encouragement, and then how we're moving forward uh, in leading worship. Yeah. Well, praise never should have never stopped. Right. <laughs> never should never right. stop, as we all know. Right. Um, and it starts from the heart, you know. I think it's it's a great could have been a it could be a great season as we're slowly opening. Maybe maybe they're already open up already. Um, to kind of spend that time, this forty days back in the wilderness, to get close to God and, and see what He would have uh, for us. And um, so I think when you're up there leading people, it, it has to come from the heart. If it's not, people know. People know. It's conceived um, faith. Like you see, if you come up to tell somebody how great your father is. And you're describing every intimate detail of what you do together. And like, oh, that guy has an awesome father. Right. As opposed to, my dad's strong. He does this. You know, right. it, it, you, you, you can tell when somebody spent time with the father. So I think first and foremost is to have an, a, you know, a constant uh, growing relationship with God. Yeah. So when you go up there, you know, the, the, all these other things are secondary, you know, important, but secondary, you know, right. to have that relationship with the so Father. So how does that overflow for you? So what's your kind of your personal well, practices and how does that overflow into your songwriting? And your I think family first is, is the flow, you know, that, that real, uh, how can you represent a child of God when you're not even being a good father to your own your yeah. family? And, yeah. and it's hard to, ba- it's hard to manage that. You to your family on the way in. Oh, yeah, so I, I was a few minutes late, sorry. I will give you an A-plus on the... Uh, <laughs> On that, on that one. Um, but, and, and they're gracious. They, we, we have an understanding that I travel, but I don't travel for more than 12 days. It's like my rule. Um, but living in Israel, traveling to the States or to, to Europe or different countries, it's, it, you have to really have a system in place so your family knows. So I always come back with a nice gift. So right. there's like a bonus when they come right. home with something, even if it's small. Um, yeah, but, but I've been finding a value in, um, in, in media. Uh, to, to be a light to the nations as well. So I don't have to travel all the time. So for me, YouTube has been a, an amazing tool to reach millions of people without having to leave all the time. So we're always doing new music videos or content, live, live worship albums and, so that people can feel like they're with us without me having to go to them all the time. Good. Let's speak to that more because we're, we're a media company. Okay. We, we serve churches and ministries with uh, ready-made media content and custom media content. So we would produce like... Uh, uh, live worship, wow, like awesome. post-production yeah. uh, of, of your concerts and stuff. Uh, and so tell me how has media played a role and the digital aspect played a role in, in being able to minister to so many? Uh, I just, big league, as they say, he, uh, very big, big league, <laughs> big league. <laughs> very huge. <laughs> um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, for me, you know, um, even just being an independent singer, 
I've been a writer with Integrity Music for about four years. Okay. Um, no longer. I, I like being, in, I'm Jewish. I like, I like figuring the business side of things out on my own. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I decided not to do an, the artist uh, contract. Um, we just found ways to reach people. Because, my point is, because we have these mediums out there to reach people without having to sign a big, uh, a big contract. Sometimes there's a, there's, a, there's a reason to do that. Right. But for me, I'm such a unique genre. I never had to sign up. And the tools are out there. So yeah. let's take YouTube, for instance. What are some um, pieces and, and things that you've done to help grow your YouTube presence? Well, um, I mean, constant content, content um, which is, which is you know, it yeah. keeps you busy. Yeah. Uh, during COVID, I filmed, I think, five music videos. Um, the country was, was locked down, but I lived on a you know, beautiful view so whenever it kind of opened up for a week we're like get the crew <laughs> we're yeah, gonna yeah, go film. so go down to the lake I yeah. borrow my friend's horse we're doing this spirit in the bride music video overlooking the sea of galilee riding a horse you know nice. like we we're always ready for for content to reach people when we could so consistent content is one. yeah uh any more tips on how to grow that that audience uh, I, obviously I mean, the quality of quality is everything speed. you know I, i've done a lot of youtube courses actually uh and they, they'll always say quality is everything you know you know um you know we're having the right um you know you, you know um i'm losing my my brain i'm still in israel time but yeah. uh uh having the right um it's tags night, it's nighttime in israel right <laughs> yes now. it is Every, i just say good night to everybody yeah. it's morning here yeah um having the right tags and all this stuff is amazing but content is everything it's everything okay so talk to a church or talk to a, a worship leader that it's looking to enhance their quality on either a Sunday morning experience or other content that they're producing, what would you encourage them to, or would you encourage them to spend time, money, energy, staff on quality content? One, yeah. And how far out? So who am I talking point? to, this, the staff that's hiring this worship team, or am I talking to the worship team? Directly to the staff. To the staff. So you're talking to pastor, you're talking to worship leader on staff. Okay, okay. I mean, having the right people as well, because there's a lot of performers. I just think there's something you can't you can't buy genuine. You can't you can't hire genuine. Oh, you can hire genuine, but you have to look for the genuine because I I've seen a lot throughout the years of people who. Are, How do you spot that? Man, I, I'm a Keith Green fan. So like, when he sang, you knew Come that on. that guy loved Jesus. He loved yeah. Yeshua. And he's uh, yeah. Also, my favorite Jewish singer, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm good friends with his wife, Melody. Oh, okay. We talk a okay. lot about Keith's stories, but yeah. I mean, you can't. It's hard. You can hire those people that that sound great. It just doesn't translate. To, to there's something about the spirit and in truth. Uh, there's something about finding somebody that really loves the Lord and truth. And yeah, a lot of times we'll stand up there and you're, you know, I'm, I'm ADD. Sometimes I'll be I'll be singing. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about. I'm like. I'm, I'm, I'm singing a half of a whole song and forgetting I'm singing songs. Sometimes yeah. I can get distracted, yeah. but just always having, just having somebody around, people around you that are grounded in the word and, and really love God, or at least in the pursuit, because I know we all fall short of this, having a perfect relationship with God, but people that really love God, it, there's nothing above that as far as leading worship. I've been in worship services where the guy sings terrible. But I just want—I just want to hug him because I love his heart. It's just so amazing. Just finding those people is imperative to having a real, amazing worship service. So obviously, we, the, the, sorry, I just like—it's getting full of, of really great production. It's—it's—it's—it's it's it's, important. Right. Right. Um, but it, it, just having somebody that—that yes. that heart of worship that you can't 
you can't train. It's just it's there, you know. Yeah, you bring it's up imperative. a good point that I mean, there there you don't want to produce a show. Yeah, quality is important. Well, you still do, but it's that's not the right the top so priority. So how do you balance that? Like not producing a show and being genuine and yeah. production value high, but you want the heart in the right place. Yeah, how do you juggle all that. I don't know. I'm I you know my Tower of David album. It did amazingly, thank God. Did it, you know, every video is like close to a million views and did really good. But now I felt like it was such a big production. I'm, we're going to the Garden Tomb. We want to have this intimate time yeah. of like hearing the people sing. And, and um, I don't know, there's a season for each, each, each of those yeah. things you're trying to reach, you know. Right. But, All right, so as we close, encourage worship leaders. What should we be thinking about and praying through over the next season? Where are we going? Yeah, I mean, aside from growing in relationships with God, growing your craft, uh, spending time with people that are way better than you. Um, Aaron Schuess is my best friend, and he's way better than me musically. You know, I have a unique angle that most people don't have, uh, you know, on, on this level of platform. So that's what I have. But I try to surround myself with, with amazing, um, skilled people that are that are above and beyond. Yeah. Awesome. man. Well, you're doing great work. Thank Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the time today, man. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you. God bless you guys. Hey guys, Stallion here from the 1230 Media team. Listen, today I want to talk to you about our blog. This is a free training resource available for you over on our website. That's right. If you go to 1230.media forward slash blog, you can have access to the entire library. That's over 600 articles written by uh, ministry professionals, church staff members, volunteers, friends of ours directly from the ministry trenches. We try to cover a wide variety of topics, ranging from communications to production, uh, worship, volunteer culture, anything that has to do with the worship experience. During the pandemic, we even added a category called Church Online, and this is great for both the pro streamers, the veterans out there, and the people just getting started with online church. You can browse the articles by category, or if you find an author you like, you can continue to see what else they've written. Ultimately, we hope that we can help you transform your worship experience. The show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out the podcast this week. Next week on the show, we're going to start another series of interviews that we did at Experience Conference in Orlando, Florida recently. You'll hear from Aaron Stewart. Aaron is the co-founder of Planning Center. I talked with Aaron about some great new tools from Planning Center that are on the way out. We also talked about the genesis of how Planning Center came about and some uh, exciting new developments, new features on the way for that team. So you'll want to be here for that next week. Also, over the next two weeks, you're going to hear from my friend Stephen Brewster. You're going to hear from Will Doggett and worship leader Jason Brooks. So all that over the next couple of weeks on the show. Be sure to check out our website. Our podcast URL is makingsundayhappen.com. There you'll find show notes, archive episodes, over 315 free episodes of the podcast, all up on our site, plus free access to over 600 articles on every aspect of your worship experience, from worship to pastoring and teaching, production, communications, leadership, and more, all at makingsundayhappen.com. Well, thank you guys so much for hanging out. Go out there and create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. 
For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com. Thank <laughs> you.